welcome to the Nurses in the No Show. I'm your co-host, Kristen, and this is... The other co-host, Hannah. And we would like to welcome you to the... Nurses, Nurses in, in the, the No Show! show. Let's do it. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Nurses in the Know. If you tuned in last week, we had a duo on the on the show. We had Morgan, who is a psych nurse practitioner, um, and she's also has a cool, a really cool book that's out, and another one coming out on the way that she co-authored with her business partner Theo. And today we have Theo. He is he also has a really cool and interesting background. But totally different than Morgan's. <laughs> so, Theo, Completely. tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became a nurse. Okay, sure. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I think one of you guys said it earlier that your first degree was a psychology degree. Oh, Me yeah. too. So, yeah. So originally, you know, I, initially I was a counselor. Wow. You know, and uh, and I remember like. It, it feels so long ago. It feels like a whole second life at this point. But I would I would punch the clock. I would come in, talk to people about their problems, and uh, try to help them get from point A to point B so they can realize things about themselves. And I remember going home one day like, man, I hate this. Like, I listen to people's problems all day, and it just weighs me down so much. And I was like, I just need to figure out something else to do. And, you know, I remember looking through a few pamphlets. Um, I think uh, at the time uh, I was uh, visiting a friend at CCBC, like the community college here in Baltimore. And I was looking at the wall and looking at all the pamphlets and I seen uh, a nursing pamphlet. And I was like, man, this looks easy. I should try this. He said the famous last words. <laughs> oh, boy, did it put me in the coffin. Oh, my goodness. We'll get to that, too. <laughs> So, you know, I, I, I tried to, I tried my hand. I, I started the prereqs um, and I got to say anatomy and physiology one and two really like beat yeah, me up. Yeah, get wrecked. Right. I, I, <laughs> yeah, oh I, I feel you, man. I feel you. I, I thought I was this amazing hotshot A student and then I took A&P and it humbled me forever. <laughs> Never will I ever. <laughs> You're still, still oh. suffering from it. <laughs> I still wake up in the middle of the night shaking from, you know, muscle You know, muscle I might be able to get you um, in to a session with uh, a psych nurse practitioner who can kind of oh. help you with your PTSD. <laughs> Listen, I would gladly <laughs> take it. I think you might know her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I might have to call the session after this interview. It just oh, drudge up oh, some oh. bad memories. <laughs> So, you know, after that, you know, I I, I knocked out all of my prereqs. And uh, I remember I went to apply at uh, at the same community college. And I remember sitting in the office with the counselor and she looked at my grades and said, you know, with your grades, you'll never get into nursing school. Wow. Oh, that was nice. Yeah, it, it was very nice. It crushed me. But, you know, I, I don't have that kind of spirit as easily broken. So, you know what they say, if the door is closed, the opportunity, jump through the window. Or, or do I just say that? <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> we get you that session after all. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, after that, I ended up doing a, a BSN program versus an associate's program. 
Just, See, and there, there's your window. Yeah, Boom. Jump right through it. It was, a, it was a sliding glass window. It was a little bit bigger than door, but you didn't have any idea when you were sitting there being told that yeah. you yeah. didn't have the grades. And I, and I stuck the landing too, no doubt. I agree. I mean, it was it was a it was a blessing in disguise to be fair with you. Um, so it was a, it was a really cool program that I did. Uh, it was a, what they call a LPN exit option in my program. So I could go okay. through and uh, do my BSN and do an LPN exit option. So before that, after I finished my first semester, uh, my fundamentals, they, they let you get your CNA after your first fundamental semester. I'm, yep. I'm sure you guys did that. Yeah. So I remember uh, at the last uh, at the last like finals review, we did a we did a, a little career thing, and there uh, a recruiter from the Veterans Affairs uh, Hospital came to talk to us, and one of the things that she said was like, "Hey, we have you know student nurse jobs down at the VA." I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And at the time, I was like, all right, well, let me try and apply for this and see how it goes. Little did I know that nursing student equals sitter overnight. <laughs> and I was like, hey, but a, a step in the door to the VA is a step in the door to the VA in my book. Well, you, you know, that same door that I stepped and I stepped out a whole three months later because I was like, <laughs> oh, I hate, God. I hate this. And you, you, you know, you can't, you can't. You can't put me in a VA hospital sitting midnight, you know, with guys who got trained in combat talking about, hey, that's the guy that stole my wallet. So, found my way out. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely (laughs) right. And because you were a man, you obviously got put with, like... Yes, the the worst of the worst. (laughs) I didn't didn't want to say it, like, badly, but that's exactly what it is because... It happens to like men all the time on the units. They they get the heavier patient. Yeah. Yes. They have you know they or the heavier load, and it's like oh well you can handle it. But that's, that's not like, fair. Um, no, not at all. But because because you're a guy, you get to deal with it. Sorry. Yes, they was trying to work me over. They they they, they kind of stuck on the fact that they have an LPN exit program. Like oh you you don't want to do school no more. We we scared you enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, yeah, essentially. But no knocking on LPNs. I value LPNs wholeheartedly. But like, what the heck? <laughs> oh yeah, it was it was a very it was a very fun time. I actually I, I worked as an LPN. I was uh so I I did my LPN at uh at the jail. So I did it at the uh, the local county oh, jail. So the VA was nothing. You're like I'm going to the county jail. I got this. Listen, the jail. <laughs> you would be surprised. They were some of the nicest criminals I have ever met in my life. <laughs> It was like, thank you. Listen, Appreciate I you. you I, I know you have an OR background, and one of my best experiences with a post op, and this is getting cut, but with a post op patient was in in shackles with two guards, and he woke up so nicely out of anesthesia, and he was like, "I'm so happy to be here," oh. and I'm like, "Well, I'm so happy you came. You came to be seen." And so, long story short, you know, you're never supposed to ask a patient why, right? You don't ask them why. And Right. I was like, bro, what'd you do? What what put you in here? And he was like, I got stabbed. And I was like, okay, but yeah, but before that, he was like, oh, I drove without a license and I can't even operate a skateboard going down the road. I said, oh, so when you get home, you tell your wife you can't use the vacuum cleaner because it has wheels. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm telling you, my my convicts that I've I've ever had the 
the pleasure of dealing with, they're the same way. They're the, the happiest people in the world. Aren't they, though? They ain't got a care in the world. They ain't got to go to a job. Only, all they got is time. They, they get health care, three squares, you know. They ain't got nothing. Yeah, green hots in a cot. Exactly. Well, and, and somebody else telling them what to do. And most of them are just happy to be there. They, yep. no, no real life decisions. They just show up, you know. They, they do their day-to-day. They do their wreck in the yard. They come in. They tell them eat. They tell them sleep. They just they just so stress-free. You know, deep down, I think that should be part of, like, a meditation curriculum, like, incarceration specialty, you know? <laughs> oh, Lord. We're going down a really dark path, guys. We need to hey. <laughs> But listen, that's, I mean, that's a coping mechanism because when you, when you handle that and you see it and you're like, this is not a general response that you would get from an average individual, no. like, walking on the street. So that's a coping mechanism to try to make sense of what you don't understand. So, hey, man, I see it and I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. So, um, I was a LPN in the jail. So from the jail, uh, I, I passed my boards there. Um, so I kind—I guess I kind of grew up in the jail uh, uh, correction nursing system. And I remember the day I passed my boards. I, I left from school on my lunch break between classes to take my NCLEX. I was so motivated. And oh goodness gracious! I know it was like uh, it was like a That's few. Crazy! I know, I know that. I, but you but know, you passed. I passed. I, I mean, I passed like a G. Like it was bad. Like I, yeah. <laughs> so there was no, there was no point in sitting there and going through Hesse or Kaplan for twelve weeks and you know giving yourself IBS and ulcers. No, You're just like I'm gonna hit it between classes and be done. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what I did. I, I, <laughs> And I came back and told everybody, and no one believed me. I was like, I, I, I know I just passed my NCLEX, guys. You, you can't stop me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so don't do what Theo did, but um, anyways, don't so do what after- I did. <laughs> I'm, I'm the poster child. <laughs> <laughs> I see that, but maybe do some of his later career moves. So, <laughs> how did you end up in the ICU? Is that after you graduated with your RN? So yes, so after after I graduated with my RN, um, I took my first. I I applied at the ICU uh, at a big teaching hospital here in Baltimore, and I was super excited. It was uh, it was a surgical ICU. Um, I remember I didn't even get a chance to tell you this. So after after I left the VA, I did another um, like a student nurse residency that was more like I mean focused on ICU. So I kind of got a lot of ICU chops out of that kind of role. So I put it on my resume and I hyped me up and you know I got some really good references from the nurse manager and you know the the veteran nurses that trained me there in the ICU at a community hospital and I got into this big teaching hospital. Um, so That's I got, awesome. yeah, it was, you know, it was a really great experience. And I've re- at this point in my life, I'm like, I'm in love with the, with being an ICU nurse. And if I'm not an ICU nurse, I don't even want to do this anymore. I love it. I love it. I love it. Lo and behold, I get to the ICU. Guess what, guys? What happened? I hate it. <laughs> oh, he got, the, he got the biggest patients, the craziest patients. He got the worst cases. I, I was miserable, guys. And, you know, I'm, I have a very, uh, I'm very laid back. I have a very relaxed personality, and I just, you know, my, it was, it was getting through the preceptor phase. Um, mm-hmm. 
I had one I had one preceptor who I loved. She was amazing. She had been there for about, you know, 15, 16 years. And then I had the other preceptor who was a little bit younger. She was about, a, uh, you know, two years of experience. And she was the nurse from hell. Like, she just did not make it a comfortable experience. I mean, and, and the funny thing is she tried to bully me. Like, I was like... You... Oh, that was nice. Yeah, I was like, is nurse bullying still a thing? I mean... And Apparently, can you really... because you guys are, were both bullied, like, right off the bat. Yeah. I was wondering, I was wondering how in the world an ICU nurse and an ER nurse became friends, but it all makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of like how a rabbi and a, you know, and a pastor walk into the bar, you know? <laughs> 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 so we uh so i i you know I, I i finished orientation you know i did i did my six-month orientation i was uh at that point i was still in nurse residency program at this point and you know i got to the point where it's just like you know i kind of hate this and i was sitting a really big transitional point in my life and i, I went to the nurse manager and i said hey you know i, I need some time off and she looks me she looks me dead in the eye and says i think you need to focus more on your nursing career and that was it. I remember that next day I went to the recruiter's office and said, hey, find me another position. I can always just leave. You already put this much money in me, so you know, give me some options and I'll do that. Uh, so from there, I ended up uh, applying for the trauma surgery team. And I think at the time, the trauma surgery team, they had like a, a schedule where it was a call-based schedule. They'll have you come in, mm-hmm. take call, you know, whenever there was a trauma. But, you know, lo and behold, you know, after I I got through all of the interviews and all that fun stuff, only to find out that they completely changed the schedule. And it was three twelves, three to four twelves a week. And I was like, you know what? That's fine. I can live with that. You know, it's no night shift. The You know, the OR goes by different rules. It's it's still Maverick. Oh, yeah. And I loved it. It was it was such a good experience in that in that sense, you know. I, I got in. I met a lot of uh, I met a lot of great people that I'm still friends with today. I, I had a lot of great cases. You know, a lot of my favorite cases were abdominal cases. Uh, you know, you you occasionally get the the foreign object cases. You know, <laughs> those are my favorite. <laughs> Very much my favorite. You know, I, I remember I remember we were standing outside. <laughs> Wait, I have to butt in. What what foreign objects did oh, you see? Oh, it was a it was a <laughs> you big name it. It was a big purple vibrator. And I remember standing outside the OR interviewing this patient and we were like standing there and we just kept hearing this buzzing and like <laughs> me and the anesthesiologist was just looking at each other. It's like Jurassic Park. Yeah, it's like what is that buzzing? We're just standing there, like, what is this buzzing? And then we get into the OR and then it stopped, and we both look at each other like, Oh, we know what happened. Batteries died. Batteries died. <laughs> she buzzing, not buzzing. She buzzing. It, it, to this day, you know, a friend, uh, the surgeon, he's a friend of mine, and we we talk about this case often, you know. And he's just like, man, you remember that one case, you know, with that we pulled that out, you know. I bet that I bet they couldn't fart for a week. You didn't hear anything, and it's just like, it's the truth. It's a, it's a totally different animal over there yeah, in the OR. And totally I remember getting a call in the morning and being like, hey, we need to start this case early. It's an add-on. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> and then they're like, no, seriously. Like, I'm like, what is it? And they said, we, is, we called you because it's a foreign body. I said, oh, I'll be there. Don't worry. 
and I said, "It's like Christmas. Don't tell me what it is till I get there." <laughs> Look, it's, there's this um, it's this picture of one of the uh, that I have on my uh, Instagram page. It's one of the uh, residents showing me the X-ray. I'll uh, I'll send it to you guys. Um, oh, we love it. Okay, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get a good laugh. <laughs> I, I did about five years in the OR, and oh my god. <laughs> You did your stint. That's what I call it when I was over there. I did my stint. I I did my stint. I I did my stint on the farm, you know? (laughs) So after your stint (laughs) in the OR, is that where you decided to go back for your FNP? So yeah, I I was actually in the OR when I decided I wanted to go back and get my FNP. And, you know, I, w- I would say my decision to go back to do it, it might not be a traditional one. You know, some people say, hey, I really wanted to advance my career because I wanted to see how far I could grow. You know, other people will say, hey, I really wanted to test my limits. My motivation was I'm really tired of people who I just feel like aren't that smart telling me what to do every day. It just kind of <laughs> it just kind of changed me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> Like, you know, I, I was totally happy being in nursing and, you know, sometimes you just look over and it's just somebody, you know, that's just totally a space case, like telling you what they're doing. You're just looking like, seriously, this guy, you, yeah. you know, yeah. come on now. You know what? I, I know when this must have happened for you. It was probably during the month of July when the new residents came in. And oh. that's when you had those feelings. Yes, it was. Yeah. A lot of those. I had a lot of Julys. Five <laughs> <laughs> Julys too many. You know, after after you didn't told the person to stop shaving the wrong leg for the fifth time, it's just like, look, man, you know, we got to we got to find something new to do here. It's getting a little bit overwhelming. <laughs> so let's talk FNP though, because you know, honestly, everyone, whenever you talk about NP and FNP specifically, everyone, the word that's associated with it now, right now, is I feel like oversaturated. Would you agree? Um, you know, I think uh, not that, that I agree that that's that it is oversaturated, but everyone talks like it is. So, um, uh, I will tell you one thing: those that cannot or does not have the willpower to do those things will say things like that. Um, mm-hmm. you, you will hear most people that are not nurse practitioners say that something oversaturated until you actually get into the role and see that you know the saturation is probably needed. Um, you would. I mean, people will completely understand. I don't. I don't think it's oversaturated. You just got to find your pocket uh, yes, to, to where you need to be. Yeah. You know. Yes, I totally agree. And I think that. How, what are your thoughts on nurses who go like right into a uh, nurse practitioner? That's a little scary to me, and yeah. I'll tell you why. So I remember being in the OR, and this uh, hospital that I was at is attached to a really you know prominent school, and I would get like you know, nursing as a second major students that's coming in uh, with, you know, bachelor's degrees in theater and, you know, drama. And they're talking about, you know, becoming NPs fresh out of the program. And I'm like, are you crazy? Like, have you have you even felt the pulse on a patient yet? You know, this ain't like singing hard knock life. You might want to get in here and get your hands dirty. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And it's funny because I am a second degree student, as we've discussed um and i was totally gung-ho as i'm gonna go right into my np and then i got married and blah 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 whole nother story but i'm super thankful that i didn't go right into my np for that very reason because unfortunately the nurse practitioner model um 
you really get out of it. How do I say this? You get into... You get out of it what you put into it in some of the programs because they're all online. You can do it and it's quick. And it's like a 1-800 degree. Yeah. Some of them. Not all all of them. them. And like if you if you were going originally for something else, advanced practice, and you knew that you had to have that solid background, right? And as a like a recommendation or a precursor to it, right? That right. that like almost like a residency if you're in med school, right? Right. Like that's how you that's how you prove that you you can back up what you're doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so you know, there's people out there that they feel like, okay, that's what they need to do. That's their second career. They might have a master's degree in, in literature or museum, whatever. Obviously that didn't pan out. They've gone into healthcare. A lot of the second career, not all, but a lot, they did it because it, it provides financial stability for their families. And healthcare does that because it is a round the clock beast that keeps going and is always, I mean, people are always going unfortunately to get sick right yes people are born and people will die like they're you know things in life that are certain is is death and taxes okay (laughs) i I gotta tell you you really hit the description right on the head with beast healthcare system (laughs) is a complete beast and if if you're not prepared it will eat you alive yeah that's right and so going back to what hannah kind of said and in her question that she posed to you about the oversaturation and and that's the same thing it is a beast we've got shortages and not only nursing, you've got pharmacists, you've got physicians, you've got surgeons, you've got ortho people, and in mid-level providers as well, there's shortages in healthcare everywhere. Just because in the the area that you're at and the place that you're trying to get your practicum or network, if you're an FNP or thinking about doing that, and someone tells you it's oversaturated. Have you even sat for interviews? Have you even submitted your your information out there to even you know be a candidate? Or are you just giving up because it's easy and someone told you, right. hey, it's oversaturated. Go do something else. Well, then obviously that's really not your calling right. if you're going to give up that easy. Right. And it may be oversaturated for nurses with no experience who went right into their nurse practitioner and they didn't have that time to you know not only just like marinate and learn how to be a nurse and learn how to make critical decisions for their patients. But also you didn't have time to network. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you went to school and then you went right into school again. So when did you have time to network and make these relationships with the physicians and say, oh, so-and-so, oh, you're doing your nurse practitioner? Well, I know so-and-so who does this over here, then they would be a great fit for you. You know what I mean? Like there's always a job out there, but networking is a huge part of it. And if you go right into it, you miss out on that opportunity. That make Absolutely. Sense? And to play like devil's advocate to that, you can be a nurse for a really long time, but if you're just showing up for your 12 hour shift and you're not like trying to grow personally and professionally, that also doesn't mean that you know more than the person that's been doing two years of, of advanced practice in, in nursing, right? Not necessarily as a nurse practitioner, yeah. because that person could be showing up every day, ready to learn more stuff, so eager to learn, and you're just showing in to clock in and clock out. So right. that's the that's the other flip side of, of it in anything, whether you're CNA, LPN, you know, nursing student, prospective student, just starting out, like you just graduated from high school and you're trying to figure out what to do with your life. In any aspect of your life, what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it, no matter what. Yeah. And so let me transition us back to Theo. 
one part of if you are let's say you're graduating with your nurse practitioner right now and you are just like unsure or maybe you're starting your nurse practitioner and you're like oh shoot what did I get myself into one way to really um, diversify and solidify your skills as a nurse practitioner is apply for a fellowship program after your nurse practitioner is complete Um, so and I love that you've done one Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about your acute pain care uh acute care pain oh, so i'm sorry did i say that wrong acute care pain fellowship acute um, pain yeah so it's, a, it's a, so what i ended up doing was an acute pain fellowship um so so the, the gist of this uh fellowship boils down to uh i went i went to a, a pretty big hospital in dc and i spent about four to five months with a, a anesthesiologist and learning how to manage pain with these patients uh, mm-hmm. so the, the population, you know, the population in DC, you know, you get your, your lobbyists, your politicians, you know, you're pretty, you know, you're pretty wealthy families. I was in a pretty you know expensive area and meeting these patients who had all of these, uh, complex pain needs. And in this, uh, in this fellowship, you know, a lot of things that we learned was, you know, how to, how to insert blocks in these patients for a, a specific nerve. We learned how to, uh, do ketamine infusions for uh, pain management in patients with complex regional pain syndrome. Uh, we learned how to effectively use medication stacking to treat different modalities of pain. Uh, there's several modalities of pain. And, you know, if I showed up at work and said, hey, let's just throw morphine at it, they would throw me out the building. I think a lot of people, you know, they, they completely disregard pain management as a science because mm-hmm. when you think of pain management, you just think about that little old lady that had a fall or, right. you know. Or there's you know. a negative connotation associated with it as drug seeking. Exactly. And so they, they disregard it completely or they say that's a psych problem or that's a withdrawal problem right. instead of addressing it and seeing it as a real issue. And I, I find it really interesting that you did the family nurse practitioner portion of it and then went into this. And and I'll, and for listeners out there, this is something that you see um, CRNAs pivot to when they don't want to do inpatient setting as well. And so the fact that you did it as an FNP, I think is 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 fantastic. And I want to hear more about it because it, it truly interests me as a future practitioner who will graduate in april <laughs> sure. yeah i mean it was, it was a very interesting experience you know it was uh it was pretty refreshing to not you know get that local tweaker that's just coming in because he can't he don't have enough money to you know buy his next move you know you you really get a lot of interesting pain uh a lot of interesting pain patients you know you get patients with very complex back uh back pains pinched nerves um you know you see disc herniations uh, and of course, complex regional pain syndrome, which is probably one of my favorites to manage. And yeah, I mean, the, the patient that I had, this patient, they couldn't even put their pants on without even having a excruciating pain, like an excruciating nerve pain. They tried everything. And I think the last thing that we ended up doing to treat this patient was like a, a three session uh, usage of ketamine. So it's like a, it was like an escalating dose. We kind of did it like a stare. So it's it's like seventy five milligrams of ketamine in one sitting, and the follow up appointment was one hundred and fifty milligrams. You know, mm. after that, it was about two hundred and no, it was a five hundred bottle. I'm sorry, don't get me wrong. It was a five hundred milligram bottle of ketamine in the setting, and 
you know, I, I don't know if you guys looked up enough about ketamine, but it's this space called the K-hole where patients really go through some trippy things, you know? Uh, we use it to sedate horses. That's why. I <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, horses get K-hole too. They should put that on the bottle. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm actually at a horse show right now in Ohio, and I'm like, they they drug people, they do drug te random drug testing on a lot of them. Did you and show up with the ketamine? Of, right, like I got the special K. Okay, you know, I'm just gonna get the K. Oh, sorry. We, yeah, we ain't talking about the cereal, so. <laughs> No, Tony the Tiger. Yo, I'm doing a lot of redirecting today. Y'all are messing with me. <laughs> I know. I'm just enjoying this. This is like my people. ICU, OR, like F and P, and like yes, psych. psych is your people. I think we're re I think we're resonating. That's the that's the problem. <laughs> that's all right. Me and Morgan, me and Morgan hit it off. Oh, oh, you guys show stopping, yes, completely yes, show stopping. I was, you know, that's going to be an award winning interview. There, I will tell you that. Oh, stop. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> that's that. That's going to be a great one, honestly. That's why I was like, man, I can't top that. I was like, man, I got to come behind Morgan with that. She had me over here with tissue like, man, that is Jesus Christ. That is deep. Okay, so back to, back to fellowships. Um, to my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, there aren't a ton of like specifically FNP fellowships, correct? So there, there, there's actually a, a list that I found circulating. It's all over the country. I think it's like 50 programs total now. Um, yeah, that's not a ton. It's not a ton. And it's, it's very tricky to get into one. I mean, if you're willing to move, you can do it. They only accept, uh, they only accept a certain amount of people per cohort. Uh, and this particular one, since it was the first year that the cohort was going, it was me plus about four other people. So yeah, I think I kind of... I kind of slid in that one, luckily. They're very tricky to get into, but if you can get into one, I highly, highly suggest it because it's going to really make you a all-around better nurse practitioner, especially if you went to like a school that wasn't like unfortunately the best, right? Um, and you don't feel like you really got out of it feeling prepared as a nurse practitioner. Um, with that being said, they are very competitive to get into. So make sure that you, while you are in school, that you are very well-rounded and that you are doing things to, you know, advance your resume and look like that ideal applicant. Um, I think a general rule of thumb, if you're looking for a fellowship program, is anywhere where there's a major um, university yes. um, that's affiliated with a hospital is where you'll find a fellowship program for nurse practitioners. Yes. I think um, it's two. So it's two big programs here in Maryland. So I believe Johns Hopkins they have a they have a GI hepatology nurse practitioner fellowship, and then University of Maryland has the traumatology for acute care nurses. Um, they have, there's traumatology, and then like acute care intensivist uh, program. Uh, which are very prestigious, super nice. Yes, uh, they are very. Pre I mean, John Hopkins in itself is very prestigious, let alone a fellowship. That, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I would definitely. Some of the best nurse practitioners I've ever met, and like the most thorough providers, have come from fellowship programs. Oh yes, um, I I think I've. It, so you, you know what I think fellowship programs really do? It gives you time to really 
hone your chops. It's, yeah. it's, it's just that, you know, when you come out of school, that role transition is probably one of the heaviest things that you will deal with. You go from, you know, like somebody holding your hand to you getting pushed out in the rain in a matter of months. It's like, okay, you passed your test. Go ahead. You're certified. Fly free. And you're just like, well, who's going to show me how to do this? It's so many idiosyncrasies in being a provider that, right. you know, it'll just kind of make you want to sit in the house and Netflix all day with a blanket over your head, you know? It's right. just like... It's true because there really isn't a whole lot out there for that transition, especially when you have the nursing background. And if you've been doing it for a long time, like that transition from like from the bedside, not necessarily bedside, but from a nurse to the provider, it's a big big transition and it's sometimes hard to wrap your mind around and like, talk about imposter syndrome holy yeah yes Tr- trust so, me 100 oh, percent. oh go ahead now i was going to tell you like you know i think one thing uh about nurse practitioners I, I mean i guess pas included is that you know it's no you know doctors and residencies they have a bit of a you know a margin of error to make a mistake you know not nothing right. fatal but you know enough mistakes to learn but you know coming on as a nurse practitioner or just like any mid level where's your room to make the mistake it's just like the minute you sneeze wrong all the critics in the background like see see you shouldn't have given full practice look what happened yeah. you know yeah. but unfortunately uh and i say this like with a little bit of hesitancy. Unfortunately, I, I okay, so I'll, let me preface this by saying I love the nursing model as a whole. I love what nurses stand for. I love, you know, our kind of really holistic care. However, I think when it comes to mid-level schooling and everything, PAs have it down a lot more pat on kind of honing in on their skills and being kind of more prepared to enter the workforce as a provider compared to nurse practitioners. Um, and I think that whole, this is a whole another soapbox for another day. Um, again, <laughs> uh, just, I feel like the whole nurse practitioner, um, education system needs like some sort of reform and just kind of needs to be restructured to better prepare nurse practitioners because there are those nurse practitioners out there that you're like, you're a space cadet. Like, how did you, if you could do it, I could definitely do it. You know, you know what I mean? Like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They're not, like, they're not really strong providers, you know? Right. And it comes down to a lot of the schooling and you know what I mean? Like they didn't put into it what they should have, but also, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're like, they're like the definition of I've read the book, but I didn't quite get it, but I feel like this is it, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, well, when you get up there and start practicing, you're going to see that it's going to be some people that you're sitting next to in the white coat and you're like, oh my God. They let you touch people, yeah. But you know, but then again, a, you know what? There's doctors out there that are like that too. So like, before no, I go I, off my soapbox too too much, like you know what I mean? There's always going to be a bad egg. Oh, trust me, no, 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 no. You wait, wait till you see. I'm not even going to jump into it here because <laughs> all all of all everybody, all your listeners are going to be calling in. Like, what was he talking about? Oh my god, what's going on out here? Should I be scared? <laughs> Yes, you should be. You really should be. <laughs> Anyways, Theo, what kind of popu- patient population do you see now? I know you kind of have a few different roles, um, but like, I guess tell us, it's hard because FNP is so broad. So maybe that's not, Tell okay, tell yeah. us a little bit about a day in the life of Theo. So a day in the life of Theo. So how about I walk you through the hospitalist role? Um, All right, that sounds good to me. All right, so uh, it depends on my area. So I can see anywhere from 
surgical patients to like joint and spine patients or the ever so famous observation unit, which are all med- <laughs> medicine patients slash extension of the ER. Uh, That's right. It's holding. That's holding. Twenty-four hour holding. <laughs> oh god, it's such a it's such a wild ride with that. It's like imagine waking up, jumping on the treadmill, and then never getting off despite what happens. You just always <laughs> run. <laughs> That's oh, what god. it's like. That's what observation is like. And you you, you can yeah. get anything thrown at you. You can get uh yep. you get a cellulitis. You can get an ulcerative colitis. You can get a a Stephen Johnson's patient. You can get like you can get a, a AFib with RBR. You know you got you got somebody on the drip. They'll, they'll tie some drip sitting in one room, and then you're just kind of bouncing around and pinging. And it's kind of like you're the head coach of a team, and you're trying to get all of your coordinators under one roof to see all your patients, or or, or get your plays out at the same time. You know, you you get a lot of things thrown at you. Some things are easy, and some things aren't. And the best way to describe it is just a mixed bag of nuts. It's a party mix of patients. You said a mixed bag of nuts, and every now and then you get an M and M. Every now and then, that's what it is. That's exactly what it, that M M&M, and M. That's your sweet patient that you just don't want to discharge. You just gotta. Yeah, but you gotta my bed. <laughs> exactly. You just gotta get them out of there. It, and you know, I, 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 if I see, I see anywhere between about twelve to fifteen patients in a day. Uh, I'll start my rounding day around seven thirty. Um, I'll, I'll discharge maybe about 10, 10 to thirteen patients by the time two to three o'clock comes around. Uh, I usually keep the patients that are a little bit tougher or need procedures the next day. Uh, some patients go straight from stress test to calf. Uh, some patients go to the OR uh, for colostomies or like small bowel obstruction uh, removals. Foreign bodies. Yeah, foreign. You know the foreign bodies. Can't go nowhere without the foreign bodies. <laughs> so, Nobody yeah. nowhere but the OR. Yeah, I love the OR. I, you know, every time I see the OR team, I'll be like, I'll scrub in if you want. They think I'm joking, but they just don't know. I'll run circles around them. This is my domain. <laughs> <laughs> this is my house. <laughs> exactly. I, I guess I'm kind of a, a jack of all trades in some ways. I love you know? it. Yeah. So, okay, so let's talk... Um, FNP in inpatient setting. How does that work logistically? And how does that work? I, I know the answer to this question, but I'm a- asking you for our listeners. Um, how does that work logistically? Um, and how does it, what happens when you go to recertify your, your, um, renew your license? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, logistically, um, you know, the when you first start out as an FMP in a hospital setting, the medical director keeps an eye on you like heavily. Like they, they, they audit your notes. Like they're they're looking at your notes. They're they're calling you every you know every month and saying, hey, let's just review these patient cases to see what we like and what we don't like. Um, it's a it's a lot of explaining yourself for the first six to seven months of your career in that field. Uh, if you if you're an F and P working in inpatient, because the assumption is that, hey, this guy trained in a doctor's office and he don't know anything about inpatient medicine, but you know, the gag is, my uh, the doctor that I worked with when I was training was a hospitalist that owned a practice within the hospital, so mm-hmm. I would have the office patients, the family uh, the family practice role. But, you know, on her days that she was not running her practice, she would take me inpatient as a hospitalist and train me on how to take care of the average hospitalist patient. 
So um, when I when I finished up, you know, I had both skills. I was, I guess, you could call me a dual wielder. You know, I had the I had the outpatient touch and the inpatient blessing. And <laughs> I like that the outpatient touch and the inpatient. But as far as when you go to renew your your board, you have to have um, a certain amount of hours as an outpatient. And I know you may, you probably meet that criteria with your concierge business. Um, yes. <laughs> however. What do you recommend for nurses? Let's say they go for their FNP and they're like, oh, crap, outpatient isn't for me. Well, well, you know, you can also you can also earn hours by, you know, training other nurse practitioners. Um, of course, uh, push the CME route. If you do like uh, like um, like a certain medicine, uh, certain medicine uh, trainings, um, stay up to date with uh, I know a lot of drug reps. They, they do the outpatient thing. They'll come out, yeah. they'll teach you, and they'll give you CMEs, uh, depending on what the company is. I think uh, keeping keeping your eye out for, like, opportunities. Because, you know, even if you do uh, inpatient stuff, a lot of hospitals, they do a lot of outpatient work as well. And they'll invite you to come to a lot of those education sessions so that you can learn. They kind of co-mingle you when you're in the hospital, believe it or not. Yeah. They just kind of throw you all in a room and say, hey, you know, here's a training, guys. Enjoy. Everybody's the same. And then they just kind of run out the door. But yeah. you know. So don't be – what I'm trying to get at by asking you these questions is if you are a nurse practitioner – you're going in a nurse practitioner school and you think you want to do family, um, don't be – the schools will try to, like, kind of scare you away to say like you can never do inpatient because that's not in your scope of practice, which isn't, which a is lot. true in a sense, but at the same time, it is possible, as you can see by Theo, as well as many other FNP uh, nurse practitioners who work in inpatient. You know, I think you just have the, to be smart about it, right? Exactly, and and you know, I feel like I feel like the way they interpret the nurse practice act is so muddled, you know. Yeah, and yes. I, I think this divisiveness that we we put up we put amongst ourselves is crazy. I mean, and you know, I kind of agree in a sense that you know sometimes the PA model is you know pretty pretty much a little bit more fluid. Uh, but as far as niche practitioners, we aren't in the way that we can't just generally go into an area of practice without having scrutiny because of what kind of certification specialty we went into, you know? Right. Yeah. So I, I don't, I now, mean, don't opinion, try to be like an FNP and go into psych or, you know what I mean? Be an FNP and try to go do ICU. I'm not oh, saying no. that by any means. <laughs> no, 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 no. Listen, I know how to stay in my lane. Stay in you your know, lane, yes. You stay, stay in your lane. You got you got to do what's capable to you. Listen, yes. I, will, I will never, listen, you, you never have to worry about me going to see a psych patient because the minute they start like twitching and their eyes start rolling, I'm going to be like, all right, where's Morgan? Ketamine. Bring her in. <laughs> I'm just, like, all right, get get the get the uh, get the Zyprexa in the building. Let's get some Howdall and whatever you can throw at this guy because yes. he about to lose it. Uh, I, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you, man. I feel you. So let's talk your let's talk about your business. So Theo has a really cool business called Weekend White Coat Concierge, which is a telehealth and concierge practice. Can you tell us what made you start that? Like. Yes. That's a whole daunting I, task in itself. And I kind of know from experience, but uh, yeah, tell us about that. You know, Weekend White Coat was born out of my frustration 
uh, honestly. Um, one of the things that I would always be comfortable, because, you know, working in the hospital, you, you don't always have that kind of schedule that allows you to get to the doctor's office at a, yeah. you know, a reasonable time. You know, it's either 7A to 7P or I'm trying to get some sleep because I've been working 7A to 7P. And mm -hmm. and I noticed a lack of availability. You know, these traditional nine to five offices, they really just they just kind of kill the experience of, of getting in there. And if you get there late, they're always kind of, uh, you know, pissy with you in a way that yep. it's just like, am I really welcome? And, and you'll get there. You'll sit out in the lobby. You'll read old magazines for the next 30 to 40 minutes until the doctor's actually ready. So when you do get there, you're never on time. And it's kind of like, all right, well, am I wasting my time? So. You know, initially what I said was, you know, I think it'll be really cool to have a telemedicine practice. And it's pretty funny because when I was thinking about this, telemedicine wasn't as huge as it is now. I think this is like oh, it's blown up. It's yeah. blown up like crazy. And you know, when when I when I established a company in 2018 and started going forward with the telemedicine model, you know, it was it was all good for about a year. I was gaining steam and then boom, COVID hit. And then, ooh, you see Lemonade step out the shadows. You know, you see oh, all of the hospitals coming up with like telemedicine models. And at that point, you just kind of needed to pivot. So what's something that has not been done in a while that you could probably bring back and add into this model, you know? So, you know, just with telemedicine, I said, you know, let's do house calls too. Let's bring back the house yeah. calls. The traditional house calls the doctor used to pull up with his bag, come in, you know, check out the whole family and call it a day. And, you know, that worked out pretty well. Honestly, you know, you had a close relationship with your provider. You actually understood what preventative medicine meant, you know. And I think one of the biggest things right now that we're missing in society is that we don't have preventative medicine. Everybody just goes to the ER for everything. How do you think? Yeah, that's their that's their primary care. Exactly. And then you know, urgent kids had this huge rise. Like it's yeah. like, all right, if I can't make it to the ER, why don't I go to the urgent care? No, you know, why don't you stay home with their ear infection? Why don't you stay home with that emergency back pain that you had for the last five years and get it managed <laughs> appropriately by your primary care yeah. doctor? But you know, primary cares have been so inaccessible that you know patients have started to trickle into other you know uh parts of the healthcare system so oh, yeah uh, and it's an instant gratification yes. society that we live in yes and that feeds as well yeah and you and you couldn't imagine how many patients come to the hospital that i end up getting as a hospitalist and i'm looking at them like you could have just followed up in the outpatient setting with your regular team yep. and they kind of just look at me like really no, you think so I'm like yes i do this all the time with people you know, just, <laughs> <laughs> I think I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I, I kind of just, I, I, you know, in, in the midst of all of this, you know, Weekend White Coat just kind of, you know, materialized into this, you know, this really cool company where the patients that I have been attracting are uh, people who really value their time. Uh, a lot of them are entrepreneurs or people who have that kind of lifestyle where it's like, all right, well, I want to get out in front of everything and I need somebody on my team that's going to work with me to do this. And it's been a blast. I mean, I love my patients. Like my, they're, they're awesome. Like if it's, if, you know, it's kind of like having a baby, <laughs> you know, and you just like, you just like, you know, keeping them close to you. That's where weekend white coat is. It is such a baby to me, you know, and I'm so protective of it. 
anytime I got to send my, my patients to somebody else for anything, it has to be somebody that I trust or I personally work with. You know, I, and I just I hold it in such high regard because the experience that I try to deliver to my I mean, I expanded in the COVID testing. I mean, nobody they didn't have to wait in line to go to these, you know, these free facilities. You know, yep. I, would, I would just pull up on them, COVID test them, flu test them, um, you know, the lead process. I even started doing IV hydration uh, with these patients, nice. IV nutrition. I, I do- that's how medicine, like you said, that's how medicine used to be. Honestly, how old am I now? I'm just, uh, probably 30 something years, 30, 35, almost 40 years ago. That's how it was. Like yeah. you, you're, you, you did everything. You treated the whole family and, you know, after hours meant the physician or whomever the caretaker was came to you, you or you went to them in their house in the middle of the night. Yeah. And, you know, and with the and with the way the model is, you know, I, I offer my patients 24 hour access. I mean, most of the time they never really need the 24 hour access. But just imagine how much better they feel knowing that I'm there for them 24 seven. You know, yeah, it's, right. a, it's such a close, heartfelt thing. Exactly. You know, if you if you ever need an appointment, it's always within 24 to 48 hours or same day if you want to just do a telemedicine appointment. I've I've went to such painstaking lengths to make this process really nice for the patients. I even went through and had my own app created so that, you know, patients can oh, just wow. have their own place to go to. Like I really put my all into this for my patients. Like and I hope they appreciate it. <laughs> That's awesome. But honestly, like I bet it gives you a lot of financial freedom too. Let's be real. It, you know, it gives me a lot. Yes, it does give me a lot more freedom. I'm not going to lie to you. And I think that everybody working in any profession, you know, especially in healthcare, they should have financial freedom. Um, I, you know, a lot of people call it FU money. And I think FU money should be in everybody's bank account. That's right. So you can walk away and be able to afford to walk away. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, you know, for that, you know, for that one year, you really feel underappreciated. And, you know, the nursing team thinks a pizza party is yep. going to solve all your problems. F you, you know, yep. when you get those terrible pins that you see in the reception lobby for nurses week, F you, you know. That's right. So it's that's a huge, that's a huge thing. When you have that financial freedom and the ability to do that, then you don't feel the social or like you don't feel these kind of constraints or like you've got to take it. Yeah. Yes. I think a lot of these individuals that are in administrative positions feel like you financially can't afford to leave. Right. They, they feel they So, you know, a lot of the times these hospitals administrators, they'll get into this mode where it's like, no, 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 no. You got it wrong. We don't need you. You need us. And that attitude, right. they, they got a cocky attitude about it, you know? And yep. You know, they they just feel like they 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 feel like puppet masters. They kind of put you on a string, and they literally, just, you know, yeah. they they wheel you around with your pill cart and your cup of water, and you know, walk up with the computer, and they just watch you from their own little office. And it, it sickens me because yeah. I really, I, deep down, I really feel like you know, nursing is such a, a noble. I'm you know, as a man coming in and nursing, I feel like an outsider sometimes. But you know, looking in, I you know what what nursing has done for hospitals. It's amazing, you know. If if you think about a hospital system being a circulatory system, we're the blood. We pump everything through. Yeah. I mean, twenty four seven. I mean, how how? Right. Can, I don't see, you know. Despite what you see in Grey's Anatomy, you know, <laughs> who's at the bedside moving these patients and getting them up? You know, 
the doctors are. You didn't know that? All the residents are. Exactly. The residents is doing physical therapy. Go figure. I'm totally mm-hmm. out of my deft head. Those guys are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, switching switch to the other side of things, you know, it's just like, all yeah. right, I, pu- I put the orders in and walk away. I'm like, yeah. man. That sucks, you know, and I just remember <laughs> have fun the, with that lecture. Exactly, exactly. You know, has the lecture say who? <laughs> exactly. It's kind of like that, you know. You you throw the orders yeah. in and you just kind of, you know, I mean, but so, then, I mean I, since you were a nurse at heart, you you also know that like, mm, is this really going to get done? Exactly. You know, <laughs> you know, oh, this, this patient don't need send electrolose and, and uh, you know, docolex around the clock. Can we really just do? No, it's not going to happen. <laughs> you, know? you know, you know how it is. Yeah. And, you know, I, and, I, and I take nurses opinion a lot more into consideration than, yeah, any, I know, bet. than any other, you know, profession would, you know, because who, who else spend more time with the patients? I mean, seriously, twelve hours. That is a lot of time. Most people don't even spend too many hours. hours. Exactly. I mean, like seriously though, where else in this world can you go, you know, besides Chick fil A to get care like this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Chick fil A in Publix. Yeah. If you live if you live in the the South. I think we got Wegmans up here. People Oh yeah. Anyways, speaking of white coats, let's talk, let's get Morgan back on here and talk about white coat and green bands. What's oh. that all about? Oh, <laughs> Since we're yeah. talking about white coats and money. Yes. Yeah. Theo, if you want to take it away, because I kind of talked about, so you want to be a nurse. But if you want to talk about that, I'll follow sure, up. Sure. Yes. I, I would love to talk about white coat and green bands. I, I don't I, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I am an enthusiast. Like I like I like money literacy. So I think one of the biggest problems in the world right now is that people do not understand their money. When I'm sitting next to someone and they can't tell me what they invested their 401k and I cringe. I'm like, please don't tell me it's a target date fund. And and if you don't know a target date fund is when you look in your retirement and it says the year that you're gonna retire. If you're putting your money in that, you've already lost your money. Uh, I've seen so many nurses that couldn't retire. I know a financial collapse happened. You know, as a millennial, I suffered through like three of them, plus yeah. over one and a half. And it's just like, look, we got we got to understand this money. We need to be free, and we need to not retire when we're like sixty nine and only got eleven more years to live. You know, who wants yeah. to who wants to go to Italy with a broke hip? You know, like it's it's not possible. <laughs> you know. So, you know, white coat green bands is kind of one of those like homages that me and Morgan cooked up because she knows how important financial freedom is to me. And I know how much it is to her, although I think she's free than anybody I know. Um, So it's uh, it's kind of a a blueprint or, or how to of how I'm doing things and, you know. It's one of those see one, do one, teach one kind of books that you yes. say, hey, this is what I'm investing in. You should probably do that, too. This is my strategy. I'm not saying that you should do it, but it's a strong recommendation that you should do it. And, you know, follow through. Stay consistent. I think one of the biggest things in being an investor is staying consistent. I mean, we can consistently go to Chipotle and get a burrito. We yeah, and we sure do. We, we sure do. We can just <laughs> Listen, I'm pregnant. <laughs> Chipotle is my jam right now. <laughs> don't forget the guac, though. No, no, yes, if my husband comes back without chips and guac, he's in trouble. 
<laughs> but you, you know, one of one of the things that most people don't stay consistent with is a plan for fi- for your finances. Yes. Why why are any why are you not as focused on that? You know, some people shy away from it. They say no, I don't want to see it. I don't want to think about it. No, you put your eyes on it. And you never look away. Because, you know, newsflash, nobody's coming to save you. When you're on your nope. 30th year of nursing, you know, uh, of your 1800th shitty pizza party, you know, just kind of like, hey, you know, I got to change my life. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not even equating for like, so wait, say you're a new nurse, right? And you're graduating and you're listening to this and you're like, oh, you know, I, okay, whatever. I have to do this new orientation for this hospital. No, pay attention to what they're saying. Exactly. Take that new employee book, look at it. When you get to meet your, um, like we had an AARP rep and different types of like investment and your retirement reps, like they're there. You can meet them, um, get their cards, like figure out who they are, ask these questions. There's a lot of information out there in the world when it comes to finances. Um, but if you can, can get information from individuals who have been in the same shoes as you, i.e. Morgan and Theo here, then like, you know, you're getting it from a source that's not like here, invest in my Ponzi scheme and they don't, they don't care what happens to you. Right. Yeah. So there's a a sense of security when you're reading this, you know, cause they're, like you said, you know, this is just something that we've done and it's important and people don't realize that, yeah, you're young, but like it all adds up in the end and you have no idea what your future is going to be like. You don't know if you're going to end up married with kids or, you know, single by yourself, but what, God forbid, what if something happens to you or your significant other? Like those are the things that you have to plan for and having a secure financial future helps alleviate some of those stresses that you may endure in the future. Because remember what we said earlier, death and taxes is going to happen. Yes. And, and you know, 2020 was such a a monstrous year for healthcare. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of of new wealth was created uh, and a lot of careers were destroyed at the same time. You know, a lot lot of new wealth being those uh, those contracts up in New York where they were getting like 15,000 a week. I think I think crucial staffing did it. Um, those those are huge wealth changers, you know. I see nurses on Instagram, you know, they they did a whole like year up there, and you know they're like buying investment properties, and they're like you know sitting on you know a pretty good nest egg, and they're not working for the next year or two because they need yep. to decompress, you know. But you know these are the things that we tend to look away from. Healthcare is probably one of the most stressful. Uh, careers that you can think of, I think anything more stressful, you will be in like a minefield trying to defuse the bombs, you know? Oh, yeah. EOD training. Exactly. (laughs) You know, you take one wrong step and you're going to lose that foot, you know? So this is, you know, I think a lot of people completely, you know, miss, they miss the mark on this. Like, I feel like this should be a part of every nursing school. I mean, I think that every, every first year nurse coming out should just sit down you know, look at that yep. check and take it, take 10%, you know, before you pay yeah. anything, take 10%, throw it in a broad market index fund. Um, I, one of my favorites is uh, Vanguard's total index, uh, Vanguard total index. Just, just, just plot money in that. It'll, it'll get you 10%, it, 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 almost near 10%, you know, I think like eight or nine uh, at the lowest, it'll beat the average. Trust me. 
Um, Vanguard has really strong funds. Um, really pay attention to what you're doing. You know, it's easy to uh, get your first nursing check and just say, "All right, I'm a baller. I'm gonna go get massages. Right. I'm gonna go gonna go know. get that Louis bag I've been eyeing." Exactly. I mean, and you know what? That is a very pertinent gift. And and I'm not saying that nobody does not deserve it. Listen, you deserve it. You get that bag, baby. You you earned it. Um, that's right but after you after you get that bag baby i'm telling and it's you little sister the wallet okay exactly <laughs> after you get that bag you gotta don't 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 keep going you gotta slow it down and pay attention because slow your roll. yeah right. slow that roll. and then get that luggage exactly exactly <laughs> you know you know to uh, i got three favorite books that i read early on in my journey where i was like look this is such an amazing thing how does nobody know about this and then you google it and i'm like oh shit i'm just the only person that didn't know about this <laughs> what, are these, what are these books because now i feel like i don't know <laughs> so i mean of course you know white coat green bands but <laughs> it's it's an awesome book it's called your money of your life it's by vicky robin um and you know in this book she's pretty she's pretty candid you know like hey you know say you're making 40 dollars an hour right all right, you spent $40 on food, but that's an hour of your life you just spent. So if you think about spending your money as spending hours of your life, knowing that time is not something that you can ever make back, it kind of changes your view on things. Yeah, 100%. And then it also makes you rethink taking that contract or accepting that lower yes job offer because you're like no my time is is money and like have y'all seen what the gas prices are exactly. and what milk costs like and i can go buy the cow and it might be cheaper at this point exactly and it just makes you fight for every little thing you know you, you claw every piece uh another book uh the simple path to wealth by this gentleman's name is uh, jl collins um it, it just it talks about the simple path that you can take passive indexing it's as simple as uh, I think the I think the common math is like if you put away five hundred dollars a month or something along those lines. Oh, the compounding. Yeah, for about thirty years, you'll be a millionaire by the time you're sixty. But you know, yeah. you know, a lot of these guys that joined this fire movement, they're like, you know, cut your life back to the bad bones, save, and you'll be a millionaire yeah. by thirty five. And you know, I, I gotta say, you know, although simplistic, those guys got it. So it is a thing called fire financial independence retire early and they got fat fire for the you know the high net earning individuals and you know fat fire is like a hundred grand a year of like passive income from your you know from your from your uh, investments which i which I, I shoot for you know fat fire is my thing um and i think the last book is uh the four hour work week by tim ferris and i and i say four hour work week because at heart i am an entrepreneur um, I, I I do have an MBA, you know, I decided I wanted to do that kind of training and I was like, you know, nice. you know. and when was this in between the VA and the LPN or when did you sneak that in there? Didn't tell us, you know, I snuck my MBA in right after I did my NP. I'm just, I'm just a machine. Sometimes I just don't stop in this bed. I, I need to find my time where I can, you know, have downtime. You know, my family. Sounds like we would all get along very well because we're, the, <laughs> yeah. we're from the same cloth. So low key, I was going to go to, not low key, but I was going to, I, I set myself up to go to CRNA. So in between, you know how you have to work a year to two years. I was like, um, setting myself up to enroll in Rollins college there in Orlando for my NBA online. And then my dad is sitting there staring at me. He's like, 
what the hell are you going to do with that? And I said, I don't know, but I like the idea of it. And then, you know, life happens, right? I mean. Yeah, you should have looked at him and said, whatever I want. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, th- Except for at the time, the gentleman was like, okay, you you have money that we have set aside for CRNA school but you want to use it towards this. So that that's where that came from of like, let's be wise with our money and not just do something because you feel like you want to do it. Right. He's like, if you want to do it and you want to pay for it, totally different story. But what did we talk about debt? So. Right, 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 right. I get it. I got you. Yeah. It, but you know, I think, um, I think what we tend to forget, you know, and as an entrepreneur and a person that's working, you know, in a hospital setting under another company, what you tend to forget is that, if they're make if they're paying you a hundred thousand dollars plus to do something, imagine that how much you can make or how much you're earning for them. So right. that one hundred they're making something off of you before it gets to you. Oh my God, you have no idea. So mm-hmm. for every patient interaction, right? So say I don't know, say you go visit a patient in the hospital. You know, for that interaction, the hospital is potentially making anywhere between $125 and upwards, you know, versus you making that, you know, $55 to $56 that, you know, they're paying you. And don't get me started on, you know, if they actually paid nursing based on a a revenue percentage sharing that they bill the companies, the insurance companies that they pay out to. Oh, my God. Nurses will be making like two to three hundred K a year, you know? Yep. Isn't that sad though? And then like you were saying earlier, nursing is the heartbeat, right? Like we're the, we are what gets like, we're the blood in the hospital, making everything continue to grow and go. But we are also the biggest expense for an administration. Mm -hmm. And you you know, nursing, this is the funny part about nursing. Once one department don't feel like doing something anymore, it falls on nursing. So not only are we just the heartbeat, the lifeline, the blood that circulate through the veins of it all, but we're a catch all, you know, and that's not, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Our our focus should be patient care. We shouldn't be focused on, you know, flattening boxes in the break room or, or, or like, you know, making sure somebody else do their job while we're doing our job. It's just, a, it's kind of, you know, disgusting in some ways, but, you know, we, I guess we kind of fell for it, you know? Because yep. we accepted it and there was no pushback. So then it was like, okay, a little bit of, at a time. And then next thing you know, you've got whiteboards and press gainies and all these other things that you're. Yes. Yes. And, and you know, the, you know no, how it is now. Every time I get an email from like administrators saying, "Oh, we appreciate you," I just like delete it. Like y'all suck. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't believe. Can you. I retweet that? About? Yeah, uh, retweet. <laughs> retweet that. You know, and, and I gotta say, like you know, that's that's these these few these all these things all in one is like pretty much the inspiration behind like white coat green bands. Everybody should be free. You know. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Everybody should be free to feel like that, you know. I mean, even we we make we make a pretty decent amount as nurses, and if you're not, you can probably find a way to make a decent amount. If you can't squeeze six figures out your career, you need to talk to the right person, you know. Y'all need yeah. to be calling Morgan up for a consultation or something because she can tell you how to make six figures, you yeah. know. Or or you know, look at the nurses. Look hashtag nurses on Instagram, and you will see all these nurses living. If you if you can't figure it out. Because at the end of the day, what you'll start to see is that administration, you know, they just want a warm body. I, I know we say this as a joke, but it's actually true, you know? Yeah, no, it is. It is. And we've, I think we've, 
all as nurses kind of seen this um, and been affirmed this uh, after the COVID pandemic, unfortunately. Look, I can't because, remember the last time. <laughs> yeah. So I think that will wrap up today's interview. Uh, Theo, do you have anything else you want to add before I kind of close out? You know, we could talk all day. Look, if you I know, that's my me, problem. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you ever want to have me back, call me. Trust me. Yeah, oh, me back, trust me, on. you will. I have actually, I want to pick your brain about a few things after. Anyway, <laughs> thank you, Snios and Morgan, so much for doing these interviews with us. If you didn't listen to last week's episode with Morgan, um, we talk all about her psychiatric nurse practitioner role, as well as their book that they wrote together, So You Want to Be a Nurse. Make sure to check out both of their books, So You Want to Be a Nurse and White Coat Green Bands, coming soon. They're linked on their socials, on their link trees. You can find Theo um, on his two IGs, one for his business, at Weekend White Coat um, on Instagram, or um, on his other Instagram, College Boy Jones FNP. Oh, Make yeah. sure to check him out. Theo and Morgan, it was a, truly a pleasure, and I definitely learned a ton. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I had so much fun. Great. I know. It was awesome. Thank you, guys. And again, thanks to all of our listeners. Make sure you like, comment, share, tell all your friends, family, coworkers, and everybody you know about the Nurses in the Know show. Till next time.